0: morning, church. Are you ready for God's word? Say amen. Amen. I believe you. Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Can you believe it? This is the final message in our series, Echoes of Promise. Twelve weeks. Twelve weeks we've spent together journeying with this man named Abraham. Come on. Has he not come to feel like a friend to you? Do you not feel like you've come to know this man? As much as we love Abraham though, who is the main who is the main who is the main player in the story? Somebody tell me, who is it? My word. Somebody elbow your neighbor and say you better wake up. This is the last message in the series. He's going to be like this all morning. Just tell him now. Tell him right now. Who's the main player in the story? Somebody tell me. It's God. God is the main figure in the story. And what we've seen week after week, message after message, passage after passage, chapter after chapter, this one truth prevails. God has a purpose. God has a purpose. Today we're on this, echoes of purpose. Just say it together. Say, God has a purpose. Ready? Ready? Say, God has a purpose. God has a purpose. God has a purpose. I feel like for the next... Hour and a half, I could just say that over and over and over again. God has a purpose, and I wouldn't have said it enough. If you were to describe the purpose of God in one word, what word would you choose? If you believe God has a purpose, as followers of Jesus Christ, I believe that you do. So if you had to sum it up, one word. God has a purpose, and I would describe his purpose this way. You got a word? Dave, you got a word? You got one? You got one? Jeffrey, you got a word? Ready? Everyone? I want you to yell out your word. I want you to yell out your word. Ready? I'm going to ask you how you would describe God's purpose, and then I want you to yell out your word. Ready? How would you? How would you? Right here it comes. Here it comes. How would you describe God's purpose? One more time. How would you describe God's purpose? I think I heard some words in there that resonate with my soul for sure. I'm not sure that there's enough words, enough voices in the room that could truly capture uh, all the words that are necessary to describe uh, the glorious nature of God's purpose. I have three for you today that I believe God's word leads us to over and over and over again. God's word says this about God's purpose. Number one, God's purpose is powerful. Did anyone say powerful? I asked if you said powerful, but I love that you said it back to me anyway like, every time he pauses, I think we're just supposed to talk now. This is phenomenal. <laughs> powerful. God's purpose is powerful. Here's why I believe it's true. Job 42, verse 2. I know that you can do all things, God, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Whatever God's purpose is, it's powerful. Nothing will ever change it. Nothing will ever stop it. Once God has purposed it, it shall be. I bet you said some words that would fall right under that word of powerful. Here's the second one. God's word is permanent. God's purpose is permanent. God's word says this about God's purpose, Psalm 33 verse 11, but the plans of the Lord shall stand firm forever. Catch this. The purpose of his heart throughout all generations. God has one plan. God has one purpose. If you could try to get your mind around this, the very purposes of God that were being uh, taking place in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 through 11. Now Genesis chapter 12, verse 25. There has been one purpose of God from then till now. And that same exact purpose is being fulfilled in your life and mine. Selah, it is permanent. Nothing will ever change it. It is one plan. God's not shifting courses at any point. It's powerful. It's permanent. Number three, it's perfect. God's purpose is perfect. I heard some words that describe that. Romans 8, 28, and we know that we know and we know that for those who love God, all things, all things, how many things? Say all. All things work together for good for those who were called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. What is good to God? Perfect. Perfection. His purposes are incredibly perfect. Come on, friends. Do you believe this? If you do, say yes. Yes. Now look at the world. Now look around at your world. Come on, we're not just going to play church, are we? We've got to reconcile what we believe with what like we see. Look around. Does it feel like, does it feel to you like God's purpose? This is his one purpose. It's super powerful. And right now it's permanent. This has to be his permanent plan unfolding. The, the, the pain that you're sitting in right now, the, this is it. Like the news that I watched last night, like this is God's good and perfect plan. Really? Really? Come on, pastor. Enough with the prompts. I'm not with to repeat after me. Like, come on, let's reconcile reality. What we say is true. Look, when life is good, when things are going well, when Gerald's getting what Gerald wants, I have no problem singing and shouting and agreeing with the purposes of God. But when I watch the news, when I attend funerals of people that I love, When I sit and listen to people struggling with their faith. When I pray over people who are struggling in pain. When we cry out to God and marriages still fall apart. When we plead for the lost and they still remain Wandering, perfect, permanent, powerful. Friends, how many of us deep down, if we're truly honest with ourselves and we get past the Sunday school parts of ourselves deep, deep down, we we do have moments where we question the purposes of God? Today, friend, whatever you're going through, whatever you're going through, whatever it is that God has in your view, whatever it is that is weighing heavy on your heart, I long for you to hear today, God has a purpose. God has a purpose. I know it's difficult to reconcile what you believe with reality that you are grasping right now but if you can hear me today hear this God has a purpose. God has a purpose. His purpose is all that we've all that his word says that it is. God has a purpose. He has a purpose for it all but now this, he has a purpose for you. For you. You're not some cosmic wanderer who is caught up in the trappings of some divine plan and you're meandering your way to try to seek and figure out. God has a specific purpose for you. Psalm Psalm 57 verse 2 says this, I cry out to God most high, to him who fulfills his purpose for me. Say me. Who does God have a purpose for? Say me. Say it one more time like you believe it's true. Who does God have a purpose for? Yeah, for me. But listen, if his plan is powerful and nothing is going to change it, if his plan is permanent and he has one glorious divine plan and his plan is good and it is perfect, hear this. If if he has a personal plan for you, you know what that means? Your purpose is part of fulfilling the grander purpose of God. You don't have a second tier purpose. You don't have a one-off dangling purpose over here. Your purpose is being, it's culminating in this greater glorious purpose. You're not some random line on a page. The line and the march and the tenor of your life is one more sketch. It's one more stroke in God's glorious cosmic picture. I want you to hear today this this friends the purpose of every single one of our lives is to fulfill God's greater purpose our purpose is part of God's greater purpose your purpose is part of God's greater purpose and you see many of us have a difficult time grasping our purpose because we choose we are seeking in a myopic way we measure the circumstances of our lives apart from God's greater purpose If you try to figure out your pain based on your own individual purpose, you will be completely consumed by it. And if you think your victories are just for you, you're going to be completely overwhelmed with pride. I want you to think of it this way. The march of your life and mine is creating a bigger picture the path of your life and mine is creating a bigger picture when the pen stroke of your life and mine is drawn it'll be part of a grander portrait that's the point the march of your life the march of your life and mine is creating a bigger picture it's kind of like being in a marching band any y'all any y'all any any band geeks in the room come on loud and proud raise your hand like you're proud of it you don't get you don't get called out very often i was a band geek i'm with you let's go let's hear it for the band geeks in the room come on nobody ever cheers for the band I'm cheering for the band, and um, cheering for the band, why? I'll tell you why. I was, um, I was a band geek, and I loved being a band geek. I, I carried my trumpet with great pride. I wore one of those fancy hats and weirdo suits and felt good about it every, every, never mind, keep going. <laughs> what does the band do? The band works together to create a halftime show. You all know what a halftime show is? At the beginning of every football season, we would get our plan. We would get our parts. And um, I don't know if you, if you know this, uh, but it is a lot of work to actually be a part of a marching band. And, like, I went to the Altoona Area High School, friends. The Altoona Area High School was, like, quad A. Like, we were legit, like, 180-piece marching band. You know what I'm saying? Like, I see you, Buckeye fan. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Like, Good try. Oh, yeah? Well, we lived in the shadow of the Blue Band, so there was that. And so show this picture. We lived in the shadow of the Blue Band, so like just 30 minutes south of State College was the Altoona Area High School. And you see, uh, they were the Nittany Lions, and we were the Mountain Lions. (laughs) And so we ripped off every pregame thing we could from, from Penn State this was like, this is it. This is what we wanted to become. And so we would work hard and you, we, would, we would march our parts. We would play our part and, and we would be out there in the middle of the summer heat. Nobody cares, but there's the band out there sweating our tails off, marching our part. I, I can't describe to you the Like this whole thing, right? And here's the deal. Well, here's what I want you to catch. At the end of the day, we would create these beautiful, we had this actual floating line. Totally ripped it off. It was glorious. But as hard as each individual member of the band would work, day after day, day after day, football game after football game, never once did I see the result of all of our labors when the show went on. Do you catch it? Never once did I have the opportunity of actually seeing the view from the stands. Friends, what I want you to catch today is this, if we could ever ever see the course, if we could ever see the path of your life, if you could ever see the march that God has called you to march, if you could ever see your purpose from the grandstands of heaven, it would change everything. We are marching down on the turf. I could never see the grander picture. Why? Because during this season, during this stage of eternity, we are actually those privileged to be marching. The day is going to come when you will join the the throng and and the cloud, the witnesses in heaven, and you'll be able to see the grander picture. Oh, what glory that day will be. And then you'll look and you'll be like, there it is. There it is. It all makes sense now. If we could see what God sees, every question would be answered. Friends, when we come to grasp this, everything changes. The thing that you're going through is bigger than you. The success that you're having is telling a greater story. The difficulty God is bringing you through is going to keep somebody else marching. The greater picture, friends, is beautiful. Beautiful. The greater picture is beautiful, but you got to believe. You got to believe. You got to believe what? You got to believe that God has a purpose. You got to take the next step. You got to march the next step. You got to play the next note. God is putting together something glorious, but you can't see it all. The Bible allows us to see what we can't see from the field. The Bible allows us to see what we can't see from the field. That's why this is so precious. God, through his word, actually puts us in the stands from time to time so that we can get a glimpse of the greater picture. You see, today we have the privilege of sitting in the stands. Today we have the privilege of seeing the bigger picture. Today we, we have the privilege of seeing the grander purposes of God. And so if you're ready to see the bigger picture today, just say, let's go. Genesis chapter 22, God's got a purpose. As I pick up the text now, Abraham is the one marching. As we pick up the text, Abraham has been marching and he's fulfilling his individual purpose in the Lord. In a very unique way, God is zooming out. Moses, the author here, is zooming out and giving us a clear picture from the stands. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 1. After these things... After these things, oh, I don't know, after what things, context matters. Uh, You remember last week, Pastor Nate Newell uh, preached this tremendous sermon where the Lord was really kind of fulfilling His promises. What did God promise Abraham? A son, right? What did God promise Abraham? To be a great nation, right? What did God promise Abraham? The land, And if you think about chapter 21 last week, what was God doing? He was tying up some of these loose ends. It was almost like last week. The story was kind of coming into full circle. It was kind of culminating, if you will. Why? Who shows up? Isaac, the promised son, finally has arrived. The wait is over. Oh my word, can you hardly believe it? But what did that give way to? Uh Uh-oh. If Isaac's here... What are we going to do with this other guy over here, this Ishmael? Anybody remember the prophecy about Ishmael? Anybody remember how gloriously he was described? What was he going to become again? What was he going to become? He was going to become like a, like a, a you said it, a wild donkey. Well, prophecy fulfilled, by the way. Here you had this 16-year-old guy, which, by the way, in ancient times, he, might as, he was a full-fledged adult, essentially. And what is he caught doing? Making fun of the baby, right? Acting like a wild donkey. And so what's 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 mama say? Out you go. And so Hagar and he get cast out into the wilderness. But even there, God shows up. Even there, God's still gonna fulfill that promise. Even there, God was doing his thing. And so you have some things resolved. You have the you have the son show up. Or what about the other guy? Well, God still got a plan for him, but he's got to be removed from this situation. What about the land? Oh. Hi, Abimelech. Good to see you again. No more funny business. But this time, what does Abimelech do? He gives him some water rights. You know what that means? Finally, Abraham has some tangible rights. To the land. So what is, what is Moses saying? After these things. After things start to get settled. After, after, after Abraham starts to see the miraculous work of God. After he starts to see the promises becoming what, they, what God said they would be. Basically, when he started, when life finally started to settle down. When Abraham started living the dream. What happens then? Well, just as things started to settle down... God tested Abraham. Is that not how life works? I like we just went through all the stuff. Resolution, God shows up. All of a sudden, we're living life, and whammo, where did this come from? God sends a test. God sends a test. God sends a test. But this is not like any test. Friends, this is the test of all tests. This is the test that is about to blow your mind and mine. This is a God-given trial. Yes, you heard it. God-given trial. God sends a test to Abraham, which leads us to the first point today, and that is this. If we believe that God has a purpose, we can embrace every trial. Yes, trial. Not just test, trial. God is sending Abraham a trial trial. By saying that God tested Abraham, Moses is now giving us a big picture view. He's giving us a view from the stands. Why? Because what's about to happen next is going to completely rip your heart out. Because if you don't know this is a test, if he doesn't come out and say, "Hey, this is a test." Everything that's about like right now here's what you should hear coming out of your Bible. This is a test. This is only a test. This is only a test of the divine broadcast system. For the next 30 seconds, this network is conducting a test. That's, That's what you should be hearing right now. What Moses is saying is everything you're about to read, keep in mind from the beginning. Have a view from the stands. This is only a test. What God is asking of Abraham is a test and only a test. Got it? What a grace how how gracious is god this is even god's grace to you because he even has moses the lord through moses has you in mind has us in mind has the original audience in mind to say i want my people to know from the beginning this is only a test because i don't want them to be confused about my nature it's a test But God wants us to see what faith, what kind of faith and trust is actually possible when somebody completely, completely, completely believes in his promises and purposes. And so to be clear, God tested Abraham. He tested Abraham, he's about to test him, but he's not tempting him. You guys know that, right? Come on, Bible students, you know, you know that God does not God does not tempt any person. How do we know? James chapter 1 verse 20 verse 13 says this, let no one say that he is tempted that no one say when he is tempted i'm being tempted by god why for god can tempt god cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one god does never send temptation but indeed for sure god sends tests According to his divine purpose, you will endure trials. He sends tests. Why? Not for your failing. He always sends a test for your proving and for the strengthening of your faith. God is not sending a test saying, watch, watch, watch. Watch how he's going to fail this one. He sends his tests and his trials as a testimony to those who are able to endure. As a muscle needs to be tested, to be strengthened, so too does your faith here friends it's crucial that we know the difference between a trial and a temptation warren wearsby who i greatly appreciate had this insight from james chapter 1 and applied it here to this there'll be a table on the screen perhaps this will be a help to you the difference between a temptation and a trial are you ready james chapter 1 would teach us this temptations come from within temptations come from within you know this you felt these trials however come from without trials come from the lord temptations come from within trials come from the lord we experience them yes and they come to us though with a very specific and special purpose here's the second thing temptation James chapter 1 is abundantly clear, comes from the devil to bring out the worst in us. Trials, however, are used by the Holy Spirit to bring out God's best. Here's, here's an interesting thing about a temptation temptations always feel logical. Like, that's why it's a temptation, right? Why am I tempted towards it? Because it feels logical. It feels natural. It feels like it's what I should do, right? So a temptation, it feels very natural. But a trial over and over again, you know how you know it's a trial? Because it feels unrealistic. It feels above and beyond. It feels like, why me? It feels like it doesn't make sense. 1 Corinthians 3. 10 verse 13 also says this the difference between a temptation and a trial. Temptations are common to men. We all, we all go through the same temptations. Trials, however, are unique to you. Trials, however, are unique and purposeful to the individual. Dare I say, study it out for yourself. The same exact trial is unlikely to hit two different people. Your trial will be unique to you. And this is crucial as we come to the story. Here's the point. You're not Abraham. Somebody say, praise God. You're not Abraham. You will never. You will. You hear it like how I said, never. That'll preach apparently. That's some interesting pastor slang. You will never have this trial. God is never going to ask you what he asked Abraham to do next. You're like, I don't want to serve no God like about what's going to go down here. He's not going to ask this of you. This is a trial. This is a unique trial given to a man who has been prepared for it. God is not going to ask you to face something that you have not been prepared for. Oh, come on. God is going to bring a trial to Abraham. And at some point or another, because he loves you, you'll have one too. That's why we can consider it all joyous when we face trials of various kinds. And so, verse 1. <laughs> yes, friends, we're still in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, notice Abraham's response. Look at what he says. Here I am, Lord, here I am. You know what this tells me? Abraham's ear is now tuned to God. Abraham has been changed. In the past, his voice was not always at the forefront. His ear was not always tuned to the voice of God, but now God speaks. Abraham says, I'm here. What do you got for me? I'm ready to listen. You have my full attention. He's been uniquely prepared for this. Think about all the tests that Abraham has already endured. Again, borrowed from Warren Wearsby. Just go through them quickly. He, he had the family test ready to leave his nation. Remember that? Leave your nation, leave your family, leave your father and go. He partially passed that one. That was a stumble out of the gate. He had the famine test, remember that? He miserably failed that one running to Egypt. Remember the famine test? Then he had the fellowship test coming back where he gave the better portion of the land to Lot. You remember that message? So he passes that test, family test, famine test, fellowship test. Then he has the fight test. Remember he fights all the kings, rescues Lot? Yeah. Passed with Flying colors, the fight test. Then the fortune test. Remember this one? The fortune test is where the king of Sodom offered him all of this wealth. And Moses is like, uh-uh, not making that mistake again. No, thank you, friend. And he passes this test. Family test, famine test, fellowship test, fight test, fortune test. Then there's the forbearance test, right? Patience, patience. When's God finally going to send me a son? Does he pass this test? Say no. Yai, yai, yai. Failed miserably. Just last week, though, he did have the farewell test where God said, "Do as Sarah says." I want you to grasp that I believe Abraham's heart was ripped out when Ishmael was sent away. We run right by that, like, "Well, yeah, it's a, of course." No, 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 no. For some 16 years, he was fathering someone, but he passed. It's a lot of tests, but I don't think any of them could have prepared him for the next one. Take your son. Take your son, verse 2, your only son, Isaac. It says your only son now because Ishmael has been cast away and God's plan for him is now unfolding in his own way. But now this, he has Isaac in front of him and Isaac is the chosen son. Take your son, your one and only son, whom you love. It's almost like right now God the Father is empathizing with Abraham. Yes, he's your son. Yes, he's the only promised son that I gave to you. and Yes, I know that you love him. I know, I know. Now listen. I need you to go to the land of Moriah. I need you to offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. This is one of those verses where you feel like you need to read it again to make sure you read it right the first time. Like, did I read this right? Did God really say? Did God really say? Sure enough, it says what it says. It says what it says, take, take, take Isaac, take the son that you love, take the promised one that I gave you, take him, take him to a mountain, and there I need you to offer him as an offering back to me. What? And as alarming as this command is from God, as alarming as this test is from God, what actually amazes me is verse 3, and it's Abraham's response. Look at how he responds. Watch, watch, watch. And so Abraham, what does he do? He rises early. Abraham rose early in the morning, he saddles his donkey, he took up two of the young men with him, and his son Isaac, he cuts up the firewood for the burnt offering, and he arose and he went to the place which God had told him, Of all the times to do exactly what you're told, now, think about it, all the bucking and snorting and dragging his feet along the way, and now all of a sudden he's like, hey, offer up your son, he's like, what time Tomorrow. What is happening here? Early in the morning, he gets up. Early in the morning, he's ready to go. By the way, I do believe while he is being obedient like now, I do think he's a little befuddled, by the way. He's doing things all kinds in a weird order. Do you notice that? Like, why would you saddle your, saddle your horse and then and then, go do, then cut the wood and then do the other things? Like, there is a sense to where I think Moses, like, tips us off a little bit. Like, yes, he's obedient, but yes, he's a little befuddled at the same time. Wouldn't you be? The question you have to ask is, is why? How is it that Abraham is able to just, like, do it? How is it he's able to get up the next day and do exactly what God asked him to do? How is it that Abraham is able to embrace this trial? Remember, he's not in the stands. Remember, he doesn't know this is a test. Remember, for him, this is as real as the day is long. This is God's voice. Do it! Well, the author of Hebrews tells us how Abraham's able to do this. Hebrews chapter 11, listen, listen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, if you want to know, here it is. By faith, well, that's the first thing. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son. Of whom it was said, listen, here's the promise, Abraham knew this, through Isaac shall your offspring be named, verse 19, he considered, here's the reason, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which... Figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. He's like, here's what I know. God made a promise. Here's what I know. God told me what he was going to do. Here's what I know. I know what God said. He said through Isaac, I would become a great nation. Here's the deal. I don't know what God is doing right now, but I know what he's promised to do. My job is to take the next step, play the next note, march the next scheme toward his plan. Bottom line is this, Abraham's done questioning God. Oh, I wish I could say the same. Abraham's done questioning God. He's been through countless tests. He's seen God do the impossible over and over and over again. And so basically he says, God, God has promised I shall do. I don't know his plan. I can't see the whole field, but I trust him now. I didn't trust him before, but I trust him now. Abraham saying, I trust you. I trust you, God. I trust you. About your trial. About that trial that you're carrying right now. God has a purpose. About the trial that you're carrying, God has a purpose. I know it doesn't make sense in the moment, but God has a purpose. It's one more pen stroke in the glorious, the glorious parchment of His purpose. Do you trust Him? When it doesn't make sense, Is where real faith is demonstrated. When it all makes sense, it's rational sense. When it doesn't make sense, it takes faith. When you embrace the trial, you can do so because you know God has a purpose. And once you embrace the trial, know this what you're also embracing is an, is, is an extreme tension. When you embrace God's trials, you're also going to embrace an extreme tension. You can already feel it. It's palpable in the text. If you're carrying a real trial from God, this tension is palpable in your own life. But because God has a purpose, you're like, let's go. I can endure this tension, not in my own strength, but through the power of His Holy Spirit. You see, Moses seems, the author here, Moses, who was writing to God's people... Moses seems to intentionally leave out any, like, emotional words. You know what I want to know? I want to know how Abraham's feeling right now. Because you know what's capturing my attention right now? is all my emotions about how I feel about what's going on in this text. Anybody else? Anybody else feeling a little sideways right now about what's happening? Take your son, your one and only son, whom you love, to a mountain and do What? I really believe with all my heart that Moses is using a literary tool. He's giving us the facts. You know why? These almost tedious, like, what does it matter that he's cutting wood? What does it matter that he's saddling his donkey? What does it matter that he picks two guys? What does it matter? Well, it matters something, but you know what it's also doing? It's leaving margin in the text for you to wrestle with your own heart. It's almost like he's leaving a space of pause for you to reflect and remember this. This is only a test. Remember, remember, this is only a test. Nevertheless, imagine imagine the excruciating journey. Now, verse four, three days. Three days, Abraham goes with his two guys, with Isaac, with the firewood. Look, look. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. And now Abraham says to the young men, Stay here, stay here with the donkey. Abraham goes and he sees the mountain. By the way, this is in Moriah. Guess what? Guess what else, uh, by the way? Guess what else is unique about this mountain where he's going to go build this altar? Oh, it just happens to be the place where King Solomon is going to build his temple. Oh, I don't know. This just happens to be the mountain where thousands upon thousands upon thousands of sacrifice are going to be made toward Yahweh God. But hear the first. Hear the initial act of faith. I don't know about you, but when I hear the words three days, when I think about what's being asked of Abraham about Isaac, am I the only one whose mind immediately runs to the sacrifice of Jesus? The correlations to Christ's sacrifice here are unavoidable and they are going to only build from here. Watch. He says to the men, Stay. Stay here with the donkey. I, I and the boy will go over there. Listen to the faith. Listen to the faith of Abraham. I and the boy are going to go there and, hello, worship. For I will not offer to God and worship that which costs me nothing. Sound familiar? Me and the boy, we are going to go and worship. It is going to be costly, I know this. But look at what he says. Look at how he finishes his statement of faith. We are going to go there and worship and we shall come again to you. Abraham's faith here is incredible. Here he pronounces in a faith-filled way, I don't know what God's going to do. All I know is he's asked me to do this, but we're coming back, y'all. Yo. You all wait right here. The boy and I are coming back. What gave him this kind of faith? This faith is what? He had faith in what God promised. He had faith in God's purpose. He didn't know what God was doing, but he knew God was going to do the impossible. He knew God's promise, but he was living in the tension of what God was asking him to do, it didn't make sense. You ever live there? Do you ever live in the tension of faith and obedience? Like, I know what God has promised, but I know what he's asking me to do, and the two things don't kind of make sense. Like, God has promised to provide all of our needs according to his riches and glory, right? But now, now out of principle, I believe with all my heart, based on, based on some happenstance, like, I know I need to quit my job. It doesn't make sense. God promises it will always be with us, it will never leave us or forsake us. But why do I feel like in obedience? He's asking me to walk this alone. God's promised us victory in Christ Jesus. And we don't fight for victory or fight from victory, but here at the same time, he asks us to lay our lives down and tension of faith and obedience is ever present in our lives. And there's nothing like a trial to draw it out. The tension in the text is mounting, it's mounting, it's mounting, even as it's mounting in this room, and so is the imagery mounting. Look at verse 6. We're going to come back to you, but first this. Look at the imagery. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on the back of Isaac. And here you have Isaac carrying the wood, even as Abraham, his father, is carrying what? The knife and the fire, so that they went of the two of them together. Here you have the son carrying the wood upon his back, even as the father are carrying the instruments of judgment. But what I don't want you to miss is this, and they went together. And they went together. What the text is making abundantly clear is this. There is an incredible level of faith that Isaac is placing in his father. Right now, Isaac is going with his father. Right now, Isaac has really good reason to be questioning his father. and he does he asks him a question but he doesn't do it in a way that is in any way shape or form a, a means of doubt the, op- the absolute opposite is true he goes with his father willingly with his father and look father and he said to abraham my father look at abraham's response it's the same response he gives to god here i am my son It's almost as if you can feel the tension, this complete obedience full of faith to God the Father. But now at the same time, the tension arising out of the text, this deep love devotion to his son at the same time, faith and obedience, the tension of it right before our eyes. And he says, here I am. Dad, behold, like, I mean, look, you got the fire and you got the wood it's right here on my back but what about the lamb where's the lamb for a burnt offering faith God will provide God will provide God will provide Abraham knew this was true God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering my son That was a way of Abraham telling the full truth to his son. For God, in Abraham's mind, God was providing a lamb. Verse nine. And so they went both of them together. All right. I trust you, Dad. Let's go. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar on the altar on that mountain. The mountain where the temple one day would stand and he laid the wood. He laid the wood in order. And then what does he do? He binds Isaac. He bound Isaac, his son, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. My friends, I can't even get my head around this text. And here I stared. And here I contemplated. And here I studied. And here we looked. And here's what I want you to grasp today. How old do you think Isaac is right now? Oh my word, in our Sunday school story, we see this like little toddler of a person all tied up and laid upon here. Here's what I want you to grasp. He is somewhere between 16 and 20 years old. Guess how old Abraham is then? If you add him at 100, how old is he? He's somewhere between 116 and 120 years old. Here's what I want you to grasp. He trusted his father. There is no way Isaac is getting on that altar without, there's no way Abraham is binding a 16 to 20 year old. There's no way a 120 year old man is going to be able to wrangle him to the ground, tie him up. Remember the two men were at the base of the mountain. Here's what you see. Isaac trusted his father and he willingly, he willingly, he willingly he laid himself on the altar to be the sacrifice that God asked him to be. Friends, does your mind not run to John? Does your mind not run to John chapter 10 verse 18? No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it back up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus laid his life down on his own accord. Isaac trusted his father. Just as Abraham trusted the Lord. Little needs to be said about the, height, the heightening of the tension that's happening in the text right now. Verse 10, verse 10, Abraham. Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife. Abraham reaches out his hand and he takes—he took the knife. The, literally the text says he took the knife. What is the intent of taking the knife? He was not expecting to be spared here. He took the knife to do what? Intent. to The word after two is the intent for which the previous action did occur. He raised the knife. How long was it in the air? How much sweat was pouring off of Abraham's brow? How badly was his hand shaking in the moment? And as the muscles twitched, as the muscles twitched to make their descent for the, slaughter, the slaughtering of his own son, verse 11, the angel cries out, Abraham, Abraham, stop, stop, stop. And what does Abraham say? Here am I. Oh, my word, praise God. Oh, my word, praise God. Verse 12, do not lay a hand on him or do anything to him, for now I know, for now I know that you fear God. After all the fear and control, after all of you your fear, your anxiety and control in the past, now I see you trust me, even with your son, your only son, verse 12. And as Abraham picks up his eyes in verse 13, oh, how the words of faith which he pronounced at the base of the mountain, oh, how they had to have come flooding back into his mind. God will provide, God will provide, God will provide. Verse 13, God provides. And so as Abraham lifts up his eyes, what does he see? Behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Jehovah-Jireh God provided. Jehovah-Jireh when it didn't make sense. Jehovah-Jireh because the promise was kept Jehovah Jireh because God said, "I will make you a great nation through Isaac." Jehovah Jireh because Abraham did the unthinkable. Jehovah Jireh because God always provides, and so Abraham called the name of the place. The Lord will provide. He called the place Jehovah Jireh, as it has been said to this day. On the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. Why? Why? Because Abraham believed God. He passed the test. Why? Because because he trusted God's promise your way through every trial is to, test, is to trust the promise your way and my way through every trial is to trust the promise when it doesn't make sense you've got to trust what does make sense When you can't see clearly, you've got to trust what you've read clearly with your own eyes. When you can't reconcile the difference, you've got to know that God already has the equation worked out. And so I ask you today, what is the promise that you need to trust? For some of us, you have a decision before you that you are having a difficult time making and you just can't make it. Hear this, God promises wisdom. You need wisdom, ask, James 1.5. Some of you really are. You're like, I, you know what, you know what, you know what? You know what? I, I see today, I see today. I see the difference between a test and a trial. I see the difference between, between a trial and a temptation. If I'm honest with you, pastor, I have temptations all about me. Friends, even here, even here, the answer is the promise. God promises you. God promises you a way of escape. God promises you a way around the temptation. God promises you. He will provide you a way of escape. James chapter 4 verse 7. You are promised the ability to resist the devil. Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist him and he will flee from you. God's promises will prevail. Some of you are living heaped in guilt. Hear me. He is faithful and just. He promises to forgive you. Grasp the promise of God. Confess your sins, and you shall be forgiven. He promises you freedom. He promises you provision. He promises you that it will be done according to his purpose. He promises you that all things work together for good. He promises you in the depths of your anxious soul, he promises you peace, a peace that passes all understanding. Believe the promises today. What's your trial? What promise? For whatever trial that you have today, and whatever promise you might be clinging to today, there's no greater promise than this. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Here's the promise that whoever would believe in Him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. The greatest promise is this, Christ, and an eternal presence with him. Whatever trial you're going through now, this will be as bad as it gets. You see, when you believe this promise, you can expect an exalting triumph, and we close with this. When you believe in God's purpose, when you believe in his promises, when you know that you know that you know that whatever you're enduring is painting a broader, a grander picture, you know and you can expect an exalting triumph. Look, 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 look at what happens next. The angel of the Lord speaks again. Listen to what he says. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and he said, Listen, by myself I have sworn, sound familiar? God walked down through the covenant path by himself. Again the angel comes, the angel of the Lord. Could this be a Christophany? Could this be Jesus himself? There is a high likelihood here that it is. And so he comes and he says, I have sworn and I have declared, says the Lord, because you have done this and because you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring. I will bless you. I will bless your. I will bless the nation. Imagine the original audience hearing it now. I will bless you, and I will bless your offspring as the stars. What is he about to do? He's recounting all of the iterations of the promise up till now. Your offspring will be as the stars of heaven. They'll also be as the sand. And the dust under your feet as on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you obeyed. Because you've obeyed my voice. Because you've obeyed my voice. You've fulfilled my purposes. You cannot thwart them. But you've obeyed them. And here my glorious portrait is being fulfilled. Because you've obeyed my voice. you will be blessed. Because you've obeyed my voice, your offspring will be blessed. Because you've obeyed my voice, the nations will be blessed. Because you've obeyed my voice, from your offspring, another son would come. From your offspring, Abraham, another son will come. from your offspring, another son. This son too would go and he would come by the will of the Father. The son that is yet to come will be in perfect fellowship. Hand in hand, if you will, they will go together to the Mount of Sacrifice just like we witnessed today. Abraham, I want you to know that of this child that is coming from your offspring, like your son Isaac, he will carry wood upon his back. He too will be willingly bound. He too, he too will go. He too will lay himself down. He too. And like you, Abraham, I, his father, will draw back the instrument of justice. But in that day there will be no ram in the thicket. For he himself will be the lamb. For he himself will be the lamb. He will be the lamb that you spoke of. I want you to hear this. Jesus is not the ram in the thicket. Jesus is not the ram in the thicket. Jesus is not the ram in the thicket. He was the chosen son to die. There's a difference. He is the offspring of Abraham that was to go on that altar. He is the offspring of Abraham who was able to accomplish. You see what happened. You want to believe and trust in God's promise. You want to know that his purposes are perfect. His purposes are permanent. His purposes are powerful. Look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ. For on the cross of Christ, God the Father did what he prevented Abraham from doing. So then, the slaying of his own son, what was accomplished was the thing that, that the slaying of Isaac never could accomplish. Through the shedding of Christ's blood, what do we hear? For God so loved the world that he gave his son, his one and only son, that whosoever was... that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. We can trust the purpose of God. You know why? Because Jesus Christ himself trusted his Father's purpose all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know why we can trust that God's purposes are permanent? You know why we can trust that his purposes are unfailing? You know how we can trust that his purposes are perfect? Because in the sacrifice of Jesus God the Father showed each and every one of us his full devotion to his own perfect permanent and powerful purpose for in the looking on of Abraham We see the picture of God the Father who offered up his one and only Son to die on the cross for you and for me. That through the shedding of his blood, you and I would be able to receive the forgiveness And so, Father, we pause and we come and we humble ourselves low. Father, here in this text, we see the promise of Genesis chapter 315 of a son be completely fulfilled. Father here in this text our minds go to John 3.16 and we're reminded how you gave your one and only son whom you loved. Father here in this text we see we see you do what Abraham believed you could do for not only did you send your son to die you did what Abraham said you could. You raised your son from the dead. Oh We praise your name for your goodness and your grace in all of this. And so, Father, here in this room are those who are enduring their own trial. But, Father, the greatest trial of all is the trial and the yoke of sin that binds and separates every one of us from you. Friend, if you're here today and you know that you are trapped in your sins, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior here today. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you. And here he is offering for you to receive the forgiveness of sins. The scriptures are so clear, friend. You can call upon the name of the Lord right now to be saved. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You're surrounded by sinners. You're not alone. But what the people around you know is this. While the wage of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, God demonstrated his love toward you in that while you are still a sinner, he sent Jesus Christ to die for you. With the heart we believe, in the mouth we confess. So right where you are, call upon the name of the Lord. No, repeat after me. Just tell him, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need your son's saving grace. Forgive me, God. Save me from my sins. Help me to live for you here forward. It's a prayer that he answers every time. When it's prayed in faith, it answers every time. And for those of us who are enduring trials, hear it again. God never wastes an experience. He works all things according to his purpose. Here again, your personal purpose is part of his perfect, powerful, permanent plan. He works all things together for good. And when we stand with the throngs, with the cloud of witnesses in heaven, we will look back and see how it all made sense. Give him glory today for his purpose. Give him praise today for his presence in your life. He will carry you through. Praise his name. His promises are sure. Father, today we praise you for your promise. We praise you for every one of them. And now we ascribe them with great, with great delight. We sing the promises that you've given to us back to you. We praise you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.